song we were singing this morning, Bye and Bye, that was a rather tricky song uh, in the church I grew up in. Don't know exactly why, but uh, when you get from the bye at the end of the phrase to the beginning of the chorus, which is another bye, uh, you're supposed to count, I think, two, three, four. And uh, now we had to practice that this morning because uh, some on the praise team uh, can't count that high. <laughs> so anyway, we got through that and, and, and we made it. But uh, first, when the church I grew up in, when we would sing that song, you would hear bye, 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 bye. <laughs> an echo of byes that we couldn't, we couldn't all time it. Amen. So this morning we're finishing up our series on heaven until we meet in heaven and we understand it better by and by. Uh, we're, this is the third sermon in that series. I, I really enjoy, who, who wouldn't enjoy preaching on heaven? And uh, so if you go to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament, and uh, go over there to about chapters 21, 22, uh, we're going to talk about the size of heaven, or at least the capital city, uh, Jerusalem of heaven. And uh, I was listening to uh, a preacher that I like, obviously, this morning, and he was talking about some things, and, uh, and I was reminded how, you know, Jesus came to give us himself, and uh, uh, as he gives us himself, we will know the way, but there are a lot of things that we don't know, uh, and I don't care who you are, uh, and I don't want to shake you this morning. Uh, there are so many things that you can know, and a preacher said one time, he said, let's talk about the things we can know, can know and not worry so much about the things that we cannot know. But there are many things about heaven that we really don't know, and, and you can speculate on those. I've been asked questions about those over the years, and I'm sure that at points I was just really speculating about heaven because... We really don't know much about what we will do there outside of, of worship, worshiping the Lord. And we don't, we don't know all the particulars about heaven. But as we're looking into scripture this morning, we're going to see what is the size of the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And uh, so we'll learn a little bit more about heaven today. You know, we're going to need a new Jerusalem because the old Jerusalem is going to be burned up. In fact, in AD 70, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, uh, was burned uh, by Titus, who later became emperor. At that time, he was General Titus of the Roman uh, Empire, the Roman army. And he, uh, he uh, circled Jerusalem. He waited for Jerusalem to starve. And then he destroyed Jerusalem. Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed. You see these stones, not one will be left upon another. And that's found in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. So Jesus spoke of the destruction of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is going to be destroyed again according to scripture that everything that we see and everything that we touch uh, except of course sharing the gospel people being saved those eternal things is going to be destroyed the bible says 
all things are going to burn up, including Jerusalem as it is presently configured. Essentially, Jerusalem is a, the old Jerusalem is a walled city. And you can go down into the earth. I'm not arguing that you should, but you can go down into the earth and you can see the ancient walls of Jerusalem that date back to the time of Solomon. And you can see some incredible stones there that are heavier than cars, larger than cars, that they were able to move into place. And so what has been built upon that is relatively new. And now let me use that word relatively new uh, because in our culture today, if you blink, a building will be torn down and a new one uh, will be erected in its place. We destroy buildings that are perfectly fine. There's really nothing wrong with them. We do this all the time in America, but they don't do that in Jerusalem. And so every, everything that is in Jerusalem, the Bible says, is going to burn up and there's going to be a, a new capital city. And I think the Bible is referring to this as a depiction of heaven. And um, remember now, as we've been doing this study, that eyes have not seen nor ears have heard, nor has entered into the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those who love him and look forward to his coming. If you're one of those people, you have got something to look forward to. Do you remember the movie Miracle on uh, 34th Street? Uh, Natalie Wood was just a just a child, cute little cute little child there and and you remember her her desire was that uh, this man that she had met would marry her mother, remember? And uh, they had met this man that most people thought that he was a little bit off of his rocker, right? And uh, he was an older man. He, uh, he wound up for a time being institutionalized because he pretended uh, that he was not all, all there. But his name was Chris Kringle, remember that? And you remember that she had asked him to do some things uh, for her and uh, uh, one of them was, of course, was to, to have a house, that she wanted more than anything to have a house. Well, some of you remember how that movie ends. Uh, that movie ends where she, they are driving, all three of them are together, and uh, she says, stop, stop, and uh, they stop, and she gets out, and she runs toward this house. Now, we know inside that house, she looks, they look over into a corner, and what do they see? They see the cane. They see the cane of uh, Chris Kringle. But anyway, uh, to, to tell that story a little bit farther is she is so excited about this new house. I mean, she goes and she looks everywhere. And probably all of us, uh, when we were younger, our parents probably looked at a house and we probably were with them and we probably wanted to see the backyard or, or we wanted to see the bedroom that we would have or we wanted to see if we were girls especially, how many bathrooms this house would have. And, and, and so, uh, you know, uh, this, is my, this is my bedroom. Uh, this is yours and all these things. And so just the excitement, just the excitement of that. And I think about heaven. heaven. Heaven bound to be just like that in a way where we will be excited to be there. 
and to see what God has created for those who love Him. Remember, eyes have not seen nor ears heard. And I've heard some pretty amazing things in my lifetime. I said last week that I was looking forward to it. And I mentioned that again this morning. The first time that faith, the first time that Griffin says pawpaw. That, I mean, that, that's just going to be a thrilling moment. And uh, if they're like some of my grandchildren, they just make up a name for me. Uh, they don't get to pop off till later when they feel peer pressure, I guess, from the other, uh, from the other grandchildren, right? Uh, one of them will say, hey, Pops. So you never know what's going to, and you probably can guess which one says that. Uh, but the excitement of heaven, the excitement of heaven. Listen, you have not got, you've got a good place to live. God bless you. But it's nothing like what heaven's going to be like. Uh, you have some good family, amen? Uh, you have some that you love to see, amen? <laughs> Come on now, give me a little of that. And uh, in heaven, in heaven, you're going to be with some fine folks. Uh, some folks, but the star of heaven is whom? The Lord Jesus himself. He is the son of because you, S, he is the S-O-N and the S-U-N in heaven. He is the brightness uh, and the glory of heaven. Now, we mentioned that everybody who claims to be riding the bus to heaven is not, is not. And if you were to think about that the fare was not going to be collected till the end of the bus journey, and you come up there and they tell you how much it cost to to have rode the bus, there are some folks that are going to be in for a rather terrible surprise. They're going to find out that they did not come prepared to pay the price because the price has been paid by the Lord Jesus himself. And outside of trusting in him and receiving him as Savior, there's going to be some folks that are going to find out that this has not turned out very well at all. Y'all remember last week where I was sharing with you in an old uh, black and white movie, as I refer to them, that Cary Grant was asked the question, well, how do we get to heaven? And he responded this way. He said, well, we get up to the pearly gates, we tell them all the good things that we did, and then the pearly gates will swing open and we'll go right in. Well, that's not biblical, is it, at all? It's not biblical at all. But I'm sure that in those days, and especially today, that you couldn't say, well, we had to trust it in Christ. Uh, and in fact, that is the way you enter into heaven. Now, no Muslims or Buddhists will be in heaven, or Jews for that matter, if they haven't come by way of Jesus Christ. If they haven't been converted, there won't be any, there won't be any pluralism as we refer to it today where you got the Baptists and you got the Methodists and you got the Episcopalians and the Catholics and the Buddhists and all these different groups, the pluralism that is extolled as a great virtue. You know, you know why the, this country wants pluralism? They don't want Christians to make demands upon them about the gospel and a pluralistic culture creates that where, I don't know, everybody's kind of sincere and yet, you know, so they're not put under the gun. In a Christian culture, they hear the gospel, the gospel presented, friends and brothers and sisters witness to them and they realize there is only one way and listen, it is in the heart of man to believe there are many ways, many ways to heaven. 
But unless you become a little child and be converted, Jesus said, you will not see heaven. So you must be born again. You must come by faith. You must repent of your sins and believe the gospel or the good news. You must indeed be saved to go to heaven. You can't earn heaven. You can't live a good enough life to go to heaven. You cannot. Why do people think that? Because they compare themselves to someone else. Uh, you know, all of us are raised in a way that we compare ourselves to someone else. For example, if you have a sister, your mother might say to you, why are you not more like your sister? Or why are you not more like your brother? Or why are you not more like your friend? We compare ourselves. But listen, if you get in a group, uh, any you will be in one, high school, junior high, or whatever, you look at your legs and wonder why your legs don't look as good as somebody else's. You look at some part of yourself and think about some part of yourself and you say, why can't I jump like she can jump? Why can't I, why can't I do the flips like they can do? Why can't I do this? Why not? Why? What about the kid that never studied who made an A plus, right? Why can't I be more like that? Uh, so, so we compare ourselves to other people and therefore this idea that, that, that I'm better than this person, which must mean I'm going to heaven because they're not a very good person, is in our DNA and yet it's not biblical at all because let me, let me tell you who to compare yourself to to decide whether you're going to heaven outside of being redeemed and that is compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to Jesus because when we talk about heaven, we're talking about the star of heaven and we're talking about the one who we will spend eternity with and unless we have been changed, he will not have us in heaven because it wouldn't be long before the crime rate would go up and they'd have to build a jail. Uh, and so therefore, we have to have been changed. We have to be changed. So let's look at the book of Revelation this morning. Let's look at this place called heaven as we think about who will be in there and who will be missing. Who will be missing? Will we know they're missing? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I don't know that, but I don't think that we will know that they are missing because I would suggest that if we did know someone whom we love is missing, that we would probably be very sad. Is that fair enough? And, and I don't know how to process that other than to think of it that way, that there will be some folks missing in heaven. It won't be a family reunion in the sense of family, a biological family, but it will be a family reunion in the sense of a Christian, in the sense of a Christian family. Now in chapter 21, as we move through chapter 21 and verse, uh, verse 9, uh, and then in chapter 22, we'll get to in a moment. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now you, you thought, well, well, I thought, wait a minute, the church is the bride of Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. But here... This new Jerusalem is spoken of as the bride of Christ. And she is a gorgeous, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. 
Uh, I will admit, as we as we left the hotel and as we as we uh, traveled on the bus that, by the way, had wonderful air conditioning. And did you know the bus that we rode on had the internet? Now I, here I am. I can't. I'm riding on a bus in Israel up through almost in Syria, and we've got we've got the internet on there. So uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible uh, notion. But anyway, it had a 40 foot high tower on top of the bus. No, I made that up. All right, so anyway, this bride that has been brought down out of heaven, and, and uh, John will speak of this bride, and he will describe this bride, and he will, he will talk about the dimensions of the bride, the city, uh, the capital city, if you will. So, and we're going to learn about that. How, how large is this capital city? Uh, I did a little bit of research on that to try to give you a little bit of perspective on that. It's much smaller than the United States itself. Did you know that? The capital city that's referred to here that we're about to, about to look at is smaller than the United States itself. So, relatively speaking, Jerusalem is not that large though it is rather large in some ways of thinking. Does that make any sense at all? And so he carried me away into the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and the gates the name of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed and the east three gates and the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates now it doesn't say those gates are closed but it does speak of this city like the city that presently exists uh, with these entrance ways and these gates and these walls, which give us a description of a, of a Jerusalem that is a protected city, a safe city, but not, not a city that has to be gated in the sense of these gates uh, being closed. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And I, I want you to see this because if you think God is not gracious, I just I think this is another example of the graciousness of God. Verse 14. And the wall in the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And listen, have you ever been anywhere where you saw the name of someone you knew inscribed in something? Uh, I know in uh, St. Louis at the rel relatively new ballpark, that people paid money to have their names uh, inscribed into bricks. Those bricks are put into the into the walkway, and you get to walk on people, people's names at least. But here, here it is talking about the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I'm going to assume now that we're talking about the ones that we know, uh, like Peter and James and John. And uh, these apostles of the Lord that are being referred to here and that God would build anything and put these folks' names on it, does that not show the generosity of God? Because, you know, Peter's the one that denied him, right? You remember that? 
we remember uh, we remember the other disciples did not really believe in the resurrection exactly, and and uh, we know that when Jesus was under trial, they were they fled, did they not, into to get away from the crowds out of fear, and yet God has put their names their names here. What a what a gracious God. Now, a golden measuring rod appears. Gold is no big deal in heaven. Gold is no big deal in heaven. Diamonds are no big deal in heaven. All these precious gems are not, not any big deal. But what do they what do they reflect? They do reflect the, the uh, beauty of God. Uh, that God, God creates some beautiful things. Some years ago, uh, we had someone who go, we take these stained wind, uh, glass windows probably for granted, you're right, until I call attention, did you even notice them today? Yeah. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, right? Some of you do, some of you notice them every week. These things are a work of art. Mm -hmm. Believe me, this, 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 what I'm about to tell you may shock you, but there is well over $100,000, well over $100,000 in these windows alone in this building. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because uh, we had a kerfuffle over here on this window. And what is a kerfuffle? A kerfuffle is when three men are trying to hold up windows that weigh whatever they weigh. And I have no idea of knowing what they weigh when they start to fall out. And these windows are two panels. Do you see the you see the dividing panel there, the little black strip? That that is because these are two windows. That's a top and that's a bottom. And so I just got on my phone and called somebody and got them to come over here and look at our windows and to give me a price on what it would cost if me and those two other guys had dropped one of those windows. Now I had already made up my letter of resignation in my head because I knew I needed to do that. I mean, that's a no brainer, right? You gotta go. Because it'd be hard to put a piece of plexiglass in there and call it a day. But I found out that these windows are well over $100,000, especially the one of Jesus back here. If you haven't seen it, these are works of art. These are beautiful, but eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it originated in the heart of man what he has to see, what he will see in the glory of heaven, including the Lord Jesus himself. Including the Lord Jesus himself. Hmm. Hmm. It's hard to imagine. So we have this rod of gold in verse 15. Is that 15? Yes. yes. And then we have this cube city in Jerusalem that is introduced here. And it's, it's, the measurement is referred to as stadia. Stadia. I guess you could call it stadia, but stadia. And it describes it this way. It is 12,000 stadia. Its length and width or height or equal, which gives reference to it being a cubed city, the, this new city of Jerusalem. Well, I did a little bit of work on that to kind of figure, figure that out a little bit. And 
And just like a cubit and a span and these measurements, which a cubit is considered to be 18 inches, it's kind of from your elbow up, up to here, we all don't have the same distance between our elbow and up here. Like my sister over here, it's like three inches. But for, for me, for me, it's rather lengthy. So my point to you is, is that, is that these measurements are not hard and fast, but somewhat generalized. But this 12,000 that is, is referred to is about 1,380 miles. Now you may have in your notes in your Bible, don't fall out if you do, that you may have a different number than 1,380 miles. So this cute city that is referred to as about 1,380 miles, 12,000 stadia. I looked up, you know how far it is from here to Phoenix, Arizona? I thank you for asking, I'm going to tell you. It's about 1,340 miles. Some of you are going to be going to look to see if I got that right. But it's from my house. From your house, it might be a little farther, a little closer. So, so if you just think about it for a moment, the city that is being described, well, it's big enough for everybody that's going, but it's not very big. Is that right? I mean, if you, if you think about it, how in the world, even in the time we live in, when China alone has a billion, two or three hundred million people, how in the world, even in our country, could we fit all of the people we know of and the people that are here that we don't know about into from here to Phoenix, Arizona, even if it was cubed? So my point to you is, is that if you need any more evidence that everybody who thinks they're going is not going, here it is. Here it is. Because this is a relatively small place. I will agree with you that 1,380 miles cubed is, a, is not that small in our thinking. But if you thought about every person who's ever lived, who's heard the gospel, who's been saved by the gospel, if they truly had been saved, there wouldn't be room for them in this, in this new Jerusalem. Now, what am I suggesting here? I'm just suggesting here that you better be sure that you're saved. Because just because you think you are doesn't mean you are. And you better be sure that you have truly passed from death unto life. Because if there's anything that I see in looking at this and fleshing it out, it's a sober reminder of that it's difficult to go to heaven. It's a sober reminder it's difficult to go to heaven. Did you know the Bible says that broad is the road that leads to destruction? Broad is the road to lead destruction, and most folks are on it. Do you know the Bible says that narrow is the road that leads to life, and few shall find it. It also says that the gate is in this life. You don't wait to find out whether you can go through the gate someday. You go through the gate in this life. The gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go through that gate in this life. And it is a narrow gate. It is not a broad gate. And these, this is why so many turned and walked away. Because coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a radical transformation of who you are into who He wants to make you. I, I kind of think I missed that sentence. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ means... That he's going to remake you into the person 
that he intended for you to be. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You know, um, there have been too many people over the years that have made it sound pretty doggone easy. And what I mean by that is, is that, is that when you have been saved, you have been changed. You've been changed. You've been changed. Now, I understand that preaching must take place because the Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you would go into a career that's foolish? <laughs> uh, you know, but when you look at a group of preacher boys, you say, how many of you would like to be foolish? Well, that's what the Bible calls you, the foolishness of preaching. It reminds me of the little girl that said, why do you scream at people every week? <laughs> And, and I get it that my role is to preach the gospel, but in part it is to tell people that should know what to do, what to do. Is that right? Right. I mean, it, my role as a, as a preacher of the gospel is to remind you of what you should already be reminded of. But God has prepared heaven for his children. There is nothing that gave me more delight as, as, as um, inadequate as it may have been. When, my, uh, when we moved into this house years ago that we lived in, not the one we live in today, not this one over here, but we moved into this house. It had a basement that was under about three feet of water. And... Uh, I thought, you know, this would be a good place for my kids to live. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, but I, I could see its potential. And uh, so uh, I made two rooms out of it. And nothing gave me more joy than to go down the stairs and, uh, and, to, and to see them and to see them in their rooms that I had worked hard to make possible. Those were really... Uh, weren't, weren't great spaces. I mean, I understand. I, I did the best I could with what I had, but, but it, it brought me a lot of joy to do it. It made me smile. And I think surely God is joyful over the idea that he's gone to prepare a place for us and that someday he's going to bring us to himself and that he's going to show us the place that he's prepared for us. Does that make sense? It does to me. It does to me. It does to me. It does that God will someday say to his servants, you and me, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But listen, when you hear that, what do you hear? I don't know what you hear. I can tell you what I hear. I hear, I haven't been good. I haven't been faithful. That's what I think. I think, man, I... I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what you have done. I didn't deserve the cross. I don't deserve heaven. Why do people think they do? They don't even understand it. The Bible says that this is a beautiful, beautiful city. Look at some of the beauty of the city and of course, keep in mind now, it's not the stones, it's Jesus. He, he's the beauty of the city. But, but look at the beauty of the city. 
The wall, verse 18, was built out of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Could a man do that? No, a man could not do that. A man could not do that. Built out of pure gold like glass. The foundations of the wall, you verse 19 with me, please. Foundation, it'll help you stay alert if you look. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, cornelian. I don't know what all of these are. Some of them are not in our thinking today. The seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl. I don't even know how to pronounce some of these things. The ninth, topaz, the tenth, Chrysophrase, the eleven jacinth, the twelve amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made a, of a single pearl. What? Wow. How big are pearls? <laughs> I will say this too. Don't you feel sorry for the oyster? <laughs> Man, that was a giant sea creature, wasn't it, that produced a pearl that large? Wow. Think about that. How big are oysters? <laughs> anyway, and the street for the city was pure gold. Again, like transparent. We just walk on it. Just walk on it. Just walk on gold. Walk on gold. Walk on gold. Gold has become more and more expensive over the years. I never knew much about gold, uh, but I know enough to know about that at one time, uh, you actually, when you got married, you exchanged golden bands that were of a carat is that right? The gold was of a carrot that was almost pure, but you couldn't have pure gold because it was not strong enough. And today, what are wedding rings made out of? Uh, old Coke cans. I mean, if you go to, if, you got, if you've been married 30, 40 years, and you, and you go to buy a ring just like the ring that you may have given in 30 or 40 years ago or 50 years ago, You'll find out you can't afford it. It's incredibly expensive. What is he saying about heaven? Heaven is priceless. Priceless. If you could buy it, you would, but you can't. There's nobody on the earth today who could afford it. Who could afford it? It's grander than anything that you and I can imagine. Now, I saw no temple Amen. in the city. I saw no temple, verse 22, in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Wow. That's why you sometimes hear me refer to as, as the Lord God, the Father, the Almighty, though the Son is the Almighty as well, but nonetheless, here in distinction, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Yes. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring it into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but those only who are written 
in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Written you. in red. Thank you, Jesus. Written in red. Written in red. Written in red. You've been to some really big places, haven't you, in your life? Some of you told me you went to the Biltmore. Uh, some of you told me, and I went to the Willis Tower, uh, which used to be the Sears Tower in uh, Chicago, or if you prefer Chicago, which is what some people call it. And uh, those hundred plus floors and a little plexiglass walkout they have now where you can walk out, look to the ground some hundred floors beneath you and realize that if this plexiglass gives way, I will be a little splat upon the ground, right? Concrete. Uh, yeah, you've been to some incredible places. You've heard the rushing of water. Uh, I know we have one brother here that grew up in Hawaii. If he grew up, I'm not sure if he grew up, but if he grew up at all, he grew up in Hawaii. And uh, so, so anyway, all that stuff and, and the things you've seen, things you've seen. When I uh, flew in over uh, uh, the United Kingdom, I saw Big Ben. I saw things that I had only saw on TV as a kid. I saw them in person from a distance. We didn't take any tours. And I didn't see Winston Churchill either. But all of these things you've seen. And you come into you come into Israel and you see Jerusalem. And you see the city that was in David's time. And you visit David's palace. What's left of it, what's been dug up, what archaeologists have found. And you see the walls of dating back to the time of Solomon where I stuck your little prayer slips in there where the Orthodox uh, priest prayed and the separation between the men and the women, do you know they still do that there? They're not worried about political correctness in Israel in that sense. And the things that you've seen, the things you've seen, the birth of a child, is there anything more exciting? And the things that you've seen. The things you've experienced. The things that have made you smile and the things that have made you cry cannot compare to what we have ahead. Now let me give you a context for this context, if I might. If folks could go there and see this right now and see Jesus they would realize this world does not have one, can I use this phrase, doggone thing to offer that's worth selling your soul for. Amen. But because we live in the here and now and don't think much about the hereafter, we'll sell our soul for nothing. When we went to seminary, there was this gentleman who moved on campus and he had been around a while, let me say it that way, and he had already lived a big part of his life and he felt the Lord was calling him to the ministry. 
And uh, so we did like most seminarians, we gathered, a, I call it a posse. And we went over to unload this man's moving truck into the apartment he was going to live in. This guy had solid wood furniture, which you don't want to unload moving vans with solid load, solid wood furniture. So, so here, here we are, you know, he's got this and he's got that and he's got this and that. So when I got done unloading him, me and the other guys, I went back to my place. There wasn't any wood in my place. It all come from Walmart at best. You had to assemble it. The kids helped disassemble it. Used bicycles. Junk relative to this guy. And you know what I thought? I thought, I think this is enough. I remember going back, I don't even know if I told my wife about this, but I thought, this is just absolutely enough. Here I am with a college degree living like this. Now, I understand the sinfulness that was working in my spirit at that moment. Today I do. But at that time I didn't, I didn't get it, really. I thought that's enough. But I didn't. That's why when I come to this church, there ain't, there's not but 15 people here or 20. I don't quit. Because I didn't quit then. If I could have quit then, I would have never got here. What do I know? I know one thing. Eyes have not seen. Nor ears nor the heart imagined the things that God has in store for his people. Amen. And if I had quit, I would never find out. And folks that sell their soul for a car or a house or something temporal are going to miss the stuff that is better than you and I can even but more than that is the star of heaven. I don't know how it's going to come down, but could you just imagine for a moment, you go around this corner, and you go around that corner, and you go around that corner, like a child on Christmas Day, opening presents, and you arrive where this large group is gathered, and you, because they're all taller than you are, you grab somebody and you say, excuse me, excuse me, could you tell me who that is? And they say, well, it's the Lord Jesus himself, the one who died for you. It's going to be worth it. Amen. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. in this world you'll have tribulation you'll have days when you feel like failure you'll have days when you feel like you've blown it you'll feel like you, what's the use 
and say, I shouldn't have done it. You won't look back and say, I shouldn't have believed. You won't look back and say, I shouldn't have been faithful. Let's pray. Father, not a one of us in this place were worthy. Except through Christ, Christ's blood. I pray that someone listening, watching this, would just bow their head right now and say, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I need to be saved. I want to ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. I want to turn from my sin. I want to believe the gospel this morning. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose for me. And I believe you're coming back for me. And I want to trust you today. And you pray that prayer today. And then you find a church that preaches the gospel. If you're in this area, come to Westover. But if you're not, there's bound to be one church that preaches the truth where you live. Don't go to just any church. Go to one that preaches the truth. Preaches there is a heaven, but also preaches there is a hell. And if you reject Christ, that's where you're headed. I may I say that to you with all due respect and sadness. But you can be saved today. You can be saved today. Father, bless this time for your glory in Jesus' name.